Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Hey, I want to pray before we dive in. We're going to be kicking off a new series, and I just want to start off with this invitation of the Holy Spirit to speak because uh, his words are what we desperately need. So you guys pray with me before we read his word. God, your word does not return void. Lord, in the same way that you spoke into creation, you said, let there be light, and light happened. You spoke and things happened. You brought order, you brought beauty, you brought life out of chaos. Lord, I pray that your word this morning would do the same thing, that you would bring life, you'd bring beauty, you'd bring order out of chaos in our lives and in this world, God, that you would bring your kingdom come and your will to be done on earth as it is heaven. Move in power. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you guys mind if you are able to stand with me as we read God's word? And we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, you guys can flip there. Exodus 20. Some of you guys were like, dang, we're going Old Testament on this one. We are going oldie. All right, Exodus 20. You guys can either read it in your Bible. You guys can look it up on the screen or you can listen to my voice. It is kind of soothing. A little nasally at times. It says this. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign re- uh, foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Sometimes when I come and preach downtown, particularly when I talk to the kids' ministry, they're like, it's a mixed emotion because um, I've I've heard that Benji preaches for a really long time, Brian preaches for like a kind of short time, and I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm like just somewhere. So you guys might be in for a long one. I'm not sure. But this is what Mark Twain says. He says, I did not have time to write a short letter, and so I wrote a long one instead. Anybody have that problem with procrastination? Where you're just like, you know, I just uh, cram all the time. When I was in college, I pulled so many unnecessary all-nighters. 
Anyone doing that still? You guys are like in the middle of pulling all-nighters. I remember I had to write papers on like the entire book of Genesis, and I would read the entire book of Genesis like 9 p.m., and then I would start to write, and then I would turn it in 8 o'clock in the morning, and it was a bad paper, like not good. But I had a deadline, and I got it done. Um, the reason why I bring that up is because you guys understand what it's like. When all of a sudden we have deadlines, we can kind of get to work. We know when there is something that kind of can uh, allow us maybe some restrictions, maybe some boundaries, we actually work at our best. Psychologically, this is true. We understand that boundaries actually help us perform better. It helps us think better. It helps us be in relationship better. And so we, we get this on a, on a sociological level, on a psychological level. We get this in our life. But then sometimes when it comes to theology, when it comes to the Lord, we like to push back against rules. We like to push back against boundaries. We like to push back against regulation. And I have to be honest, um, we're kicking off a series in the Ten Commandments. It's called Thou Shall Be Free. Thou Shall Be Free. We're excited about it because this is the point. It's about freedom, and you're going to see this over the next ten weeks. But I have to be honest, preaching a sermon and sermon series on the Ten Commandments feels a bit awkward. It feels a bit weird for two reasons. One, because of the social climate that we find ourselves. We find ourselves in a postmodern, uh, post-morality world. Also because of the theological framework that we find ourselves in. We're Protestants, right? So we're like, we don't, it's like by grace, through faith, right? I don't have to obey the law. Jesus did it for me. His blood, man. We're so pumped on the freedom that we have because of Jesus. And so it kind of makes it hard when you start talking about the Old Testament stuff. We start talking about the rules and the heart of God and all of that. Um, there is a professor from Regent University. He observed this. There is two uh, dominant factors in our culture. There's antinomianism, which is against law. We in our culture want to go against law. But then there's also autonomy, which is self-law. We don't want law above us. We want to create law for us. The Washington Post actually mourned when they said this. Common decency can no longer be called common. I don't even know if you can call it decency. Yet, what's really fascinating is as much as we notice this, we want to push against law, we want to push against rules and regulations. There's something fascinating. Jordan, Jordan Peterson, he wrote a book. I don't, many of you guys might have uh, read it. In 2018, it was called 12 Rules for Life. And then he had a follow-up sequel book called 12 More Rules for Life. It was a top of the national bestseller, meaning we all still want rules. In the midst of a culture in which we want to push back against rules and push back against boundaries, we are going for self-help books that are telling us rules for the maximization of our lives. We all actually love rules. And we actually need this. We all understand this. If you want to have a relationship with someone, you want to make sure you're on the same page. When I got married, we had vows. Thank God for those. Because when we're in our marriage, I actually feel safe because I know we're on the same page. I actually feel secure. I feel free because I know that when I'm messy, when I wake up and I've got morning breath, which, come on, we all have it. You know what I mean? I got like Listerine next to my bed, but it's like it just stinks in the morning and she's not going to leave me. Praise God. Amen, right? You know, and, and so it's so we understand this. When there is an agreed upon way of life, we can actually live freely within that. I get to live with a sense of security 
and freedom. I don't have to perform for her love. I have it. I don't have to manipulate her to love me. I already have it. See, there is freedom and there is love and there is purity in that. We also get this uh, just in terms of human beings, right? There was a study about chimpanzees and chimpanzees might, uh, they might actually go against someone who steals their food, but they're not going to make a rule against stealing. They actually love to steal. If you've ever been around a chimpanzee, which I know we all like to spend time around them. Brian did, I think, when he was in South Africa, and he talks about how monkeys were the worst because they would steal everything. But as human beings, we actually always are making rules to live by. This is built into the fabric of who we are. And even nature, right? If you don't have river banks, you have a flood, and it does destruction. There's, there's all of these things about boundaries and rules that keep us living into freedom, there was this uh, psychological study, it was called the playground study, and many of you guys might know this too, but during, during this study, what they did is they, they sent the kids out and they said, go, you can go wherever you want. And they had a playground in the middle and they said, just have fun. But they set up no fences. And so all of those kids who were playing stayed really close. They actually didn't explore. They didn't have fun. They didn't go out until they built a fence. And then all of a sudden, there's a sense of safety and security. All the kids ran around. We need a sense of direction. We need boundaries. We need rules to a degree. There's also this theological reason why we have some tension with it. I have tension with it. We're Protestants, by grace, through faith. Isn't this the old covenant? Isn't this the Old Testament, right? Aren't we under Jesus now? Let me tell you what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all these things are accomplished. See, God gives us these guides, these rules on the journey of life, and they are actually to protect and enhance the life that we have. They're to protect and enhance the life that we have. So did you know that in the Old Testament uh, and through, well, throughout Israel's history, they had these three main festivals every year, three festivals where they would travel all the way to Jerusalem. And as they traveled to Jerusalem, it was always a time of celebration and singing. So these three feasts, one of them was Passover, where they celebrated the Exodus. This was when God passed over and, and he released them from their slavery in Egypt and went off into the Exodus. Then they have the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is while they were in the wilderness for 40 years, God dwelt among them them in a tabernacle, and he was in their midst, and he led them and provided for them by a pillar of smoke and fire. And then there's the, the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, which just means 50, 50 days after the Passover. And this is the feast where they celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. You know the dominant celebration, the dominant theme, the dominant word for the Pentecost feast was joy. It was joy. Pentecost, the giving of the law. Could you imagine if I had my son? He's only 16 months, so he wouldn't get it. But could you imagine if he was like five years old, seven years old, and I was like, hey, buddy, it's bedtime, seven o'clock. And he's like, yes, I love bedtime, my favorite. Or if I was like, hey, man, you can't have that extra cake, too much sugar. And he's like, ah, thank you, mom and dad. Thanks for protecting me from sugar. Right? How weird would it be if he was so pumped because we gave him rules and regulations to guide his life? We don't do that. In fact, we typically see rules and regulations as restricting. And yet, Israel, when they received the law, 
when they receive from Mount Sinai, here are the Ten Commandments, here's how you can live, they celebrate. They have joy. They sing, they dance, they eat, they drink, they party. They have a great time together. Why is that? Psalm 119 says this, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees, your laws, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. Do you see it's all about we rejoice in the law of God? The Bible is full of people who are excited and ecstatic and pumped and rejoicing, filled with joy because God showed up and gave them the law. There's actually reason, though, why these feasts are joy-filled, why there's celebration and dancing and singing and eating, and why they travel three times a year to Jerusalem. There's background that actually colors in Israel's history and that give an understanding of the Ten Commandments and give its relevance for today. So here's the context. Here's why it is filled with celebration. The Exodus story. 400 years, these people were enslaved. 400 years, they were underneath the thumb of an oppressor called Pharaoh in Egypt. 400 years, they had harsh labor with no days off, where they couldn't do anything that God wanted them to do. They could only do what the little g-god Pharaoh and all of the gods of Egypt could tell him tell them to do. After 400 years, they actually even forgot who Yahweh was. They forgot who the creator was because they had to live underneath the boundaries and the rules and the guidance and the provision of a little g-god that was oppressive. And then you, you keep reading the story and all of a sudden you begin to see Pharaoh was the worst. I mean, he threw the little Hebrew boys into the Nile River to kill them. One of them got saved. His name was Moses. He, he was raised up in Pharaoh's household. He ended up killing one of Pharaoh's uh, servants and fled and ran away. And then God meets him in a burning bush. And then God says, I'm going to send you to deliver my people. I've heard their cry. They... Moses goes into Egypt, and then these 10 plagues come. These 10 plagues where God reveals a few things. He says, I'm going to set you free, and I'm going to show you that I am worthy. Now, I just want to highlight, those plagues aren't just arbitrary plagues. Like, he's going to say, I'm going to send you some boils, because that sounds like a creative thing to do. I'm going to uh, send frogs and, and fleas into your life. I'm going to send all these things into your land, because that sounds fun for me. God is actually doing something really, really theologically important and fascinating right here. See, Egypt had gods, multiple gods. So just a couple examples. They had a god of the Nile River. Their names was Osiris and Hali. So what does God do? He turns the Nile River into blood. He is waging war against the false gods of Egypt to declare, I am God. I am good. I set free, and I love you. They had a god of livestock. His name was Apis. And so what does he do? He kills the livestock in Egypt. They had a god of the sun. His name was Ra. And so darkness over the land for three days. And he saw Pharaoh as God as well. All of Egypt saw Pharaoh as God, and so he deals decisively with him as well. Again, you can go down the list. God is saying, these are not gods that you should submit to. They enslave you. They will not set you free, but I am a good God. I am a God who loves you. I am a God who sees you. I am a God who sets you free. Yahweh saves. And it is out of this freedom, uh, this freedom exodus from slavery into life where these good and present God who saw them and loved them gives them these 10 commandments. That's the background. 
This is why they celebrate, because the Ten Commandments were not restriction, they were freedom. So let me define the Ten Commandments for you. The Ten Commandments are a covenantal document given by Yahweh to Israel to cultivate and maintain their relational freedom. Their relational freedom with God and one another, and it was established in their radical deliverance from Egypt. And this is how the Ten Commandments start. Let's get into the text. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We're going to stop there. We got nine more weeks to hit the rest of it. Ten words. We call them the Ten Commandments, but traditionally throughout Hebrew history, they actually called them the Ten Words. Ten words, Ten Commandments, they're both kind of synonymous, but I actually like the way that the Hebrews are going about it. They say uh, the Ten Words, and here's why it's significant. That word, when they say um, God spoke all of these words, to that first line, the word is debar. Debar. Hebrew, the Hebrew word debar. It's actually really significant because every time God debars, every time he speaks words, it's revealing something about himself as well as creating something. Think about in the very creation of all things. God said and it happened. God's word does not just inform, it actually performs. God's word creates. And this is where it's all headed to the ultimate word. Let me read John 1. It says, In the beginning was the word, in Hebrew, debar, in Greek, logos, and the logos, or debar, was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God's word, his debar, is revealing and creating and always pointing to Jesus. So this opening line frames everything. God spoke. He debarred. What I'm about to say, God is saying, is I'm going to reveal something about myself. I'm going to create something, and I'm ultimately pointing you to Jesus by what I'm about to say. And this is what he says. I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So did God just make up these Ten Commandments, these Ten Rules? Did he just make them up and think, these are going to work? Don't murder. That one should be good. I, I, I probably should put that one in there. No, these commands actually emerge out of God's very own character and nature, meaning these words reveal God's character. They give us a self-portrait. Hence, starting with where God started, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh, your God. And so he's saying, start looking at me. Look at me first. Before we get into the content of what I'm about to say, look at me first, because these words will make sense in light of my face. If you look at me, all of a sudden, this is all going to make sense. Think about this. You shall not bear false witness. Why? Because I, your God, will be utterly reliable. I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. 
Or you shall not commit adultery. Why? Because I, your God, will not. I am utterly faithful. I keep my commitments and I protect my relationships. You can begin to see how the Ten Commandments are not just something of the past. They're extremely relevant for today because they are out of God's character. And so I'm going to walk through three things just in this text really quick in these first two verses. First is the source of the Ten Commandments is Yahweh. Secondly, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is freedom. And thirdly, the content of the Ten Commandments is how do you now live? So the first one, Yahweh. I am Yahweh, your God. Yahweh is the source of these commandments. Like I said, he is a relational God. He is a powerful God. He's the one who set them free from slavery. So when we know the context that he set them free, all of a sudden we see that God, Yahweh, is actually giving them the Ten Commandments to be in relationship with him. He's a God that pursues. He's a God that saves. He's a God that pulls us from slavery. He's a God that brings us into freedom. He is a God that is powerful. He's a God that created all things. Therefore, he knows how life works. He is Yahweh, unlike the brutal taskmaster of Egypt. He is a good creator who loves us and sets us free. This is where it all begins. If we do not begin there, we miss it all. So if Yahweh is the source, then there's a really important theological rationale for the Ten Commandments. And this is what I would say. I think that if God is the one who gives us the Ten Commandments, it's not because he wants to just give us rules. It's actually because it quote-unquote fits the species, meaning God is not just the lawgiver who saved us. He's also the creator who created us. That's so important for us to understand because he drew up the blueprints for humanity. He designed us magnificently in such a way that it works. And so as C.S. Lewis says, you cannot go against the grain of the universe and not expect to get splinters. And so when we live in such a way where we go against what God is saying, we're going to end up with splinters. There are things in our lives that are going to get fractured or go out of place because we are living into our design when we live into what God has said in the Ten Commandments. Here's some examples. Murder, false witness, Sabbath, adultery. All of these are actually telling us a mystery of humanity. We were made for life, not murder. We were made for rest, Sabbath. And we were made for faithfulness, adultery. E. Stanley Jones says the law is not an imposition on the human species. It is an exposition of how the human species was created to live. Um, Christmas is really fun now because my son is old enough to understand what we're doing. And so uh, my mother-in-law bought him a little kitchen. And so I, of course, had to build it. So she bought it, I built it, you know, and then she gets all the credit. That's kind of messed up. So I built, but I built this kitchen and it looks good. But what's funny is like our neighbors who also go to light, it's been a really fun community thing, but um, they go to light as well. So I was like in the garage and we're all just three of us. We have our kitchens all laid out because they got kitchens too. And we're all like looking at the manuals, like we're like cavemen, like kitchen, okay, you know, I got this. And we're just trying to figure it out, and pieces are spread out. And I got to say, I crushed it. I finished that kitchen in like 45 minutes. My friend Spencer, he finished it. It was like an hour and a half, you know, double my time. But my friend Brandon could not figure it out. 
Like he's, he's scratching his head. He's looking at the instructions. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. And what's funny is that at the end of the night, I mean, he's, he, was, he was there to like midnight in this garage trying to build this kitchen. There's a hole in the back of the kitchen that he's about to give to his daughter. And the doors only open three inches. Like he couldn't figure out how to get the hinges going. He's like, whatever, she's just going to have it. I was like, you're going to give this to your daughter? Really? That's not fun. Could you imagine how messed up that'd be where she wakes up Christmas morning? She's like, oh, I want to open my kitchen door. And it goes three inches. It's like a tease. And so it was just, I was just thinking about like God gives us the manufacturer, like the manual for life. He teaches us how to live. And when we follow them, when we know how to follow them, things begin to work. But when we don't know how to follow them, we don't know how to read them, we don't live into them, we end up with a hole in our back and we end with like three inches of door. It just does not work out. And then this is the gift that we're going to have to the rest of the world. God wants us to be a gift. He wants us to work appropriately so that we can see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which then leads us to point number two, the purpose, right? If Yahweh is the source, this good, this beautiful, this God that set us free, if he's the source, what's the purpose? Why did he create us? Why did he give us these rules? And so, Again, verse 2, I am the Lord your God, Yahweh the source, purpose, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Question for you, did God give Israel the Ten Commandments to follow while they were still in slavery or once they had already been set free from slavery? Were the Ten Commandments needed to be obeyed in order to be set free? See, this is supremely important, and it's directly in line with the very character of God. He gives grace and freedom to us always before we deserve it. He loves us. He pursues us always while we are far off. He accepts us and welcomes us always before we even try to clean up our act. And even when we fail to clean up our act, his undeserving, unrelenting, unconditional love is still there. Freedom and favor always comes before the law. Meaning the Ten Commandments are not a way that you receive grace. It comes after grace and in the context of grace. So then you have to ask the question, why give the law at all? If I'm already set free, why give me the law at all? Well, the law is given so that we can live into the freedom. It's given so that we can live into the grace that is already given to us. So that we can now continue to live as free people and not go back to Egypt and not go back to the oppressive Pharaoh, not go back to the life of slavery and chains and burden. He gives us the law so we live freely, not as slaves. So when we separate thou shall and thou shalt not from the prologue, I am the Lord your God who rescued you, we then turn the Ten Commandments from a gift and a way of living into freedom into a burdensome list that we need to follow in order to get God happy with us. Let me highlight this and make it as clear as possible. God is overflowing with love for you and grace for you and freedom for you. And this is important because Moses, throughout the Bible, is always an archetype. He is always just a shadow of the light that actually is. He is always just pointing forward to the ultimate redeemer, Jesus. Moses just points us to Jesus. Here's what Martin Luther says. Either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders, 
or it is lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it's lying on your back, you are lost. But if it's resting on Christ, you are free and you will be saved. Now choose what you want. The invitation with the Ten Commandments is, do you want to live? You've been given freedom. Do you want to keep walking in freedom? We can actually paraphrase the opening line like this. I am Yahweh your God. I already love you. I have already acted to free you. Here are my ways to live life, to protect and enhance the freedom that you now have. He wants to protect and he wants to enhance the freedom that we now have. So God's aim is to help us live as free people, no longer slaves, right? To protect and enhance the freedom we now have. And if there's a theological rationale, right? He created the owner's manual, so to speak, for us, and we live into that. And when he speaks, it reveals his character. There's also sociological rationale for why God gives the Ten Commandments. And, and think about this with me. We all know what it's like. Maybe we've heard stories about it, or, or maybe let's make it, bring it like, pretty close to our home. We all live out of the traumas or we live out of the moments of our life, our family of origin, the ways that we've kind of been raised up. We live out of those things. You ever do something, you're like, dang it, that was my dad. I don't want to be my dad. And we live into those patterns. And maybe you were in a, a bad relationship in the past. And now you've been spending the next five years and the last five relationships trying to undo what that one person did because you lived in a place where you didn't feel like you could actually be free. We live into these patterns of what's happened to us in the past. We see this with orphans. When orphans finally get adopted, they get brought into a new, new home. What do they typically do? Standard. They hide away food. Because they didn't know if they were going to get their next meal. They didn't know when they were going to get. So it takes them a while to begin to trust that they are no longer orphans, but they are free. They're in a home of love and support and sustenance. It takes a while to undo the traumas of the past. Israel was enslaved for 400 years. They didn't even have in their mind an idea of what freedom looked like. They didn't know what it looked like to be able to be underneath a benevolent, loving God who wanted their best. They only knew oppression. They only knew slavery. They only knew to do whatever Pharaoh told them to do. They never knew what a Sabbath or rest day looked like. And so sociologically, God says, you've only known slavery. I have to train you and I have to teach you what it looks like to be free. And so Israel's set free, and they're set with this one question, now what? Isn't that the question we always have to ask? Anytime there's a move of God in your life, now what? Maybe you recently stepped into a relationship with Jesus, now what? We, we hear stories of God and revival. We, we read about it in, in Asbury, and we're like, okay, well, now what? We see God moving in prayer house. We see God moving in downtown. We see God on the move, and we have to say, now what? The question is always, now what? And in these 10 words, these 10 commandments, God gives them a gift. He answers the now what? Live. Here's how you live. And there's two, two options they could have had. They could have heaped this heavy burden on Moses to be the dictator, to be the ruler, to be the leader, even though Moses didn't know what he was doing. I mean, read about him. This guy was a clown. He had no idea what he was doing. So he could have heaped that burden on Moses and put that on him. Or he could have just said, hey, you guys, moral relativism, you know, just figure out whatever you want to do, do whatever you want to do, make it feel right. And that would have led into anarchy and chaos as it always does. But instead, God gave them a gift. 
where he unifies them with his guidance. He says, I know how life works. Follow me. Isn't that what Jesus says? I know how life works. I've come to give you life and life to the full. Follow me. The Ten Commandments is the Old Testament way of saying that. God is at work to help us live into the freedom that he has already offered us. There's a famous saying that says, it is one thing to take Israel out of Egypt, but it is completely another thing to get Egypt out of Israel. Man, Pharaoh is alive and well in many different ways in our lives, right? The relentless shame from the addiction cycles that we find ourselves in or that we are battling. The gnawing feeling of never being secure enough or successful enough, right? The strong current of the narrative from your family of origin like I just talked about or the temptation that you still strive to work and earn the Heavenly Father's approval despite the theological conviction that God has already accepted you. Can I just read Galatians 5, 1? It says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, stand rooted in the freedom and don't submit yourself again to the yoke of slavery, meaning don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to the things that yoked you to slavery that was a burden that you could not carry. G.K. Chesterton in his book Orthodoxy says, the chief aim of Christianity was to give room for good things to run wild. I love that imagery. The chief aim of Christianity was to give room for good things to run wild. And so in the context, if the context is Yahweh, or he's the source, Yahweh is the source, and freedom is the purpose, we finally get to the content. How do we actually live in this freedom? Which we're going to spend the next nine weeks talking about, but I just want to briefly talk about the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. Now back to the context, Israel knew gods. They knew the god of the Nile. They knew the God named Pharaoh. They knew the God of livestock. They knew the God of fertility. They knew the God of the sun, right? They knew all of these other gods. And yet God decided to work decisively against those gods to prove that he is Yahweh over all of them. And you have to begin to ask the question, if God has proven himself to be stronger than all those other gods, if he has proven himself to be a God that frees you and loves you, why would you not want to be in relationship with him? And so if you get this first commandment straight, no other gods before Yahweh, everything else falls into line. If you have no other gods before Yahweh, you wouldn't want to covet your neighbor. If you have no other gods but Yahweh, you're not going to make a false idol because you know that it's fake. You're not going to murder because you know this God is a God of life. He set you free. So in the first two commandments, I know I'm touching the second commandment, which is going to be talked about next week. But in the first two commandments, we're actually brought into a clue of the mystery of who you and I are. Right? The first two commandments is no other gods before me and no false idols. Meaning this is what's true of you and this is what's true of me that God is cluing us into. We were made to worship. Birds fly, dogs bark, fish swim, humans worship. We worship. And so he says, you are worshiping people. So let me just align your worship real quick. Don't go to those other little small gods that I just conquered. Don't make a false image because you realize like I'm the one who's the one true God. Worship me. See, in this first command is not an apologetic for the existence of God. The Bible teaches that clearly, but the burden of this first commandment is not about theology, but it is about 
loyalty. It's about allegiance. Who will you give ownership of your life? Is it going to be Pharaoh? Is it going to be the, the burdensome taskmaster? Is it going to be the, the, the approval of others? Is it going to be the, the upward climb of success? Or is it going to be God? And then he says, no other gods before me. Before me. You might just think like no other gods in front of me, like in front of line. This actually literally means in my face. The word uh, pane literally means in front of my face. In my presence. No other gods in my presence. But we have to ask the question, where is God's presence? Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Meaning you shall have no other gods. This is what you can paraphrase it. You shall have no other gods before me anywhere at any time. You shall not let anyone or anything come between you and me anywhere, anytime. You shall not let anyone or anything take my place in your life anywhere or any time. So why does God give us this commandment? Is it because God's lonely? As some people might think. Is it because God's not getting enough attention? Is it because God's insecure? Is he afraid? Is he mean? Is he an egotistical narcissist who just needs more praise to feel good about himself? No. Then why? Why would God make this kind of demand for allegiance in our life? Because God is actually telling us something about ourselves as well. Not only is he supreme, he's the only one deserving. He's actually telling us something about you and about me. We were made in such a profound and beautiful way that only the living God, only the creator God, only the powerful God can satisfy the longings of our heart. He doesn't want you to go for some off-brand substitute. You're better than that. That's what he's saying. We weren't just made by God. We were made for God. This is actually a high compliment that God is paying us here. He's saying that you are so wonderfully made that only the infinite, holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, wise, just, merciful, gracious, eternal God can fill us and fulfill us. So when we break the first commandment, what actually ends up happening is we just fall back into slavery. When we decide to put some other God in front of God, when we go for those cheap substitutes or those off-brand gods, we fall back into slavery. So what do we do? Because inevitably, you and me break this all the time. What do we do when we break the debar, the word of God? When we choose to not live into freedom, but instead live back into a life of slavery? Yahweh to the rescue. Verbatim, that's the definition of Yeshua. Yahweh to the rescue. Yeshua, which is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus. God to the rescue. Because of Jesus, the Ten Commandments move from just being the way and designed to live into freedom. They also become Ten Promises. They move from ten laws to follow to ten promises that will come true. Jesus deals with our inability to live God's law. And he does this in two ways. One, he forgives us. He forgives us. He came down from Mount Sinai. He moved through the valley of sin and transgression. And he climbed the Mount of Calvary onto a cross so that our inability to follow God's rules can be forgiven. But not only does he forgive us, that's awesome. But then he gives us his spirit and he empowers us. 
Forgiveness and empowerment always go together. Romans 8 says this, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh or sinful desires, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, to forgive us. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but living according to the who? The Spirit of God. This is paramount for us to understand because the law back then, when it was given, God said, write this on your doorposts. Write this on your forehead. Write this on your wrist. Have it always before you. Keep the law always before you so you don't stray from it. But the problem is that only works for a little bit, right? How many of you guys like started a Bible memory or like, you guys started your Bible plan and you're already like three days behind? You're eight days behind. It's like day seven in January, right? We all understand what it's like when we're trying to do something. We try to do it in our own power. Even if we put it in front of us, we put it like on our mirror in our car or on a mirror in our house. We do all of these things and yet we still fail to do it. See, the problem was never having the law in front of us. The problem was always the human heart. Always. And so Jeremiah 31 talks about, I'm not going to read it, but it talks about how the law is not going to be written on doorposts anymore. The law isn't going to be written on your forearm or your forehead or on your car mirror. The law is going to be written on your heart. What's fascinating is that Pentecost, the rejoicing celebration, the, the joy-filled feast where they celebrated the giving of the law, is the very same day that the Holy Spirit came. That's theologically significant because what God is saying is the law is now written on your heart. I have not only forgiven you, but I'm also empowering you. God sets us free so that we can step into the life of freedom. And when you fail, when I fail, we get to get back up and start following him again. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. The spirit of Yahweh comes to enable the people of Yahweh to live into Yahweh's design. And so as a result, God's commandments turn into God's promises. God's word doesn't, again, it doesn't just inform, it performs. So let me, let me read this to you. I think this is so powerful that because Jesus... Not only are these laws that he wants us to step into to experience life, these are promises, and you'll catch on to that in one second. So let me reframe the Ten Commandments as promises because of Jesus. I am Yahweh your God who made you and who became one of you and who went to the cross to free you from the consequences of your rebellious heart. And I am Yahweh your God who comes to live with you and in you through my spirit. Therefore, because I am who I am and I've done for you what I have done for you, one day you will no longer buck up against the grain of reality. One day you will have no other gods before me. There will be nothing between us. You will have no distorted ideas or images of who I am. You will know me as I truly am. You will not use my name in vain. You will call upon me in every situation and find that I will come to you. 
you will live a holy, sabbatically balanced life, you will know true rest. You will honor your father and mother. It will go well for you in the land. You will not murder. You will not commit adultery. You will not steal. You will not bear false witness. And one day you will not covet. You will be satisfied in and with me. And one day you will love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. And one day you will love one another as I have loved you. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus because these are not these burdensome commands, but they reveal the very character of God. That he didn't just put on our backs and say, follow these or else you won't be free. But he sent us Jesus. He came to do what we could not do. And he did that so that these are no longer commands. They're promises. There is a day we will see God face to face. No false images. There is a day we will walk in holiness and righteousness. We won't be insecure, grasping for everyone else's possessions because we'll be satisfied. Don't you long for that day? Don't you long for the day when we don't have to worry anymore about what, where our provision's gonna be because we have God right in front of us relationally. We trust him. Because of Jesus, that day is today. And it's also a day that's coming. And we sit in the tension. And as we sit in the tension, we follow his instructions. We trust him. We obey him. We love him. And we worship him. We're now going to step into a time of communion, which is so fitting. Because the Ten Commandments were all about relationship. Yahweh to the rescue came to have relationship with us. And so as we take these pieces of bread and as we take this juice, we're reminded of Jesus' words where he said, this is my body that's broken for you. It's broken because we have broken. We could not fulfill the commandments. I broke myself because you're broken, but I'm doing this so that you can be made whole. And then he says, this is my cup of the new covenant, the covenant of grace. Take this in remembrance of me. Remember that you are free. And so as you come to the table, you remember the freedom that you have because of Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. We love you. You're so good. You are so powerful. You are so worthy. You are so beautiful. You are so near. Thank you, God. You're not distant and far off, heaping rules at us, but you are a God who gives us direction and freedom and life, that you are near. You give us your very presence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill each and every one of us in this room this morning. God, that we experience the freedom of life with you. God, I pray that as we take these elements, this wouldn't just be a religious thing that we do. This wouldn't be something that we do month in and month out as a rhythm just because we're supposed to or because the church or some guy standing up here is telling us to. I pray this is a very intentional and beautiful act in which as we do this, Jesus, you remind us to our very heart, to our very mind, to our very being that we are set free because of you. Jesus, would you be worshiped, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.